to Learning from Friends. Um, as you can tell, I'm not Kate Curtis. I am Andrew McIntyre. Two-year anniversary of Learning from Friends, and Cade likes to switch things up a little bit sometimes and have someone interview him. So today, I will be interviewing Cade Curtis. We will be talking about a trip that he took over to the UK this past summer, and we are going to be digging into what all happened there. So before we start that, I am going to pause for a second to give a quote for the day. That seems to be a tradition that Cade does. And I will do the same here. So I'm going to pause and give a quote that my daughter will be providing as we took a trip to the UK recently and she went and I want her to provide a little insight as well. So let me take a break for that. Often the hardest person to forgive is yourself. All right, we'll jump right back in. So Cade, we are going to talk about your trip to the UK this summer. Before we do that, let's jump right into the details of why was it important to put this together for this particular podcast episode why was it important to document this this particular topic you know i have over the last several like two years of doing this podcast and doing all these different little adventures of talking with people and hearing their stories and hearing their the, what they've kind of done and what they're willing to share i was trying to think of okay two-year anniversary episode what should what should i do I'm like, what do I have to say that's like meaningful or like or something different kind of deal that uh, it kind of expresses me a little bit. And when I was thinking back, I was like, okay, last year, Chris and I talked about just simply, you know, what the podcast was, who's a little bit of Kate Curtis. And I go, what do, what do I want to do? And then you, we were talking about on the trip uh, when I got back and we were walking with a couple of friends mm-hmm. at Kennesaw. And I was like, hey, you know what? I was like, that would be a fun episode. Yeah. That would be kind of neat to kind of do. And so uh, here we are kind of sitting and we're going to talk about it. So why not? Yeah. Well, I appreciate it too. I mean, we had a trip with my family this summer to the UK. So we have a lot of connections through that. And so I'm excited that you invited me to be a part of this. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I think you were episode like number four or five, somewhere in that range. So it's kind of, we're going backwards here. I know. And you you got to be on my podcast. So we'll just keep switching it up. Oh, and I'm going (laughs) to reference your podcast at a later point of a book you recommended to me Uh, that I took on the trip, actually. Okay. Okay. That was kind of like a a big deal for me. And uh, I'll say that that's for sure is... uh, Something that really was impactful to me that came from your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, shout out to that. You know, it is, oh man, I'm going to totally butcher the name of it. Deep in the Woods. Deep in the Woods. Yep. Yeah. So we t- it's a podcast where we take someone and we go for a hike or recently the new episode coming out, we actually go fishing with my dad. So really go somewhere and we pick one word and we kind of jump in real deep with it. So check it out. Yeah, definitely do. All right. Uh, you ready? I am ready. Let's get this thing going, man. Okay. All right. So first things first. Um, as I go through this, it really is kind of almost chronologically is kind of how I want to set this up. So from the beginning to the end and then kind of jumping around as needed. Let's do so it. So the mo- explain to me the motivation for this trip. Like what was the decision that led up to you making this trip? Something that I've mentioned briefly in my previous episodes. I don't usually go into a lot of detail about it um, just because it's really kind of personal. But I suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and depression from some stuff that has happened in my life. And with those struggles, I've been working on trying to better like myself. That's something I've, I've, I have, I look on the outside, like, oh man, Kate's got it together. He looks kind of calm and collected and kind of chill. I really just struggle with liking myself. I don't do well in selling compliments from others. I'm very indecisive when making decisions about stuff that it sometimes can take me a couple of days or a couple hours just to decide what kind of toothbrush to buy. Hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I was buying an air pump for my kayak that I got. 
And I had to literally just turn it over to my wife and go pick one. Cause I struggled so much with trying to come to that decision and my anxiety got so fast, my head started spinning and I just, I couldn't handle it. And another thing that I struggle with is being really alone by myself. Whenever mm -hmm. I do things, I usually like to do it in groups or with a couple of people cause I like to share the experience. So I don't really do things for myself that often because of, for me, it is, I'm a nurturer and I like to give myself away to others rather than really all the time looking inwards to myself. So this trip was really more of like a therapy. Yeah. And I really needed that reminder that the world is a lot bigger than I am. And I can be given something back like to myself by actually going and doing this kind of stuff. And I've also over the years had this, you know, desire to travel that, uh, needed to be fulfilled. Yeah. Well, that's, so. I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the piece about that being alone, because I think there's a bit of a fear about that piece. And I've talked about this on a recent podcast too, about solitude and how there's this kind of two sides to that. There's the yeah. side of that seeking that out. Everybody kind of romanticizes that piece, but there's also a fear related to really being completely alone. I don't know if that's something that you felt or if it was just truly. It's a similar idea entirely. I love that episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that was a, to try to catch, to connect those pieces, but I don't know that if, for me, if I did the same thing or even that idea of that, it would have been a very fear-based decision of like, what's going to happen? I mean, yeah. could all the risk involved, which we'll talk about. In a there's, little bit. There, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. That, I mean, it took a lot to do it, but, and there's a lot of years, thousands of hours and dollars worth of therapy <laughs> has uh, gone into getting to that point to be able to do something like this. And I'm 34 and that's something that I think before that, during COVID, I took a trip to DC and that mm -hmm. was probably the first trip I have taken for myself yeah. and by myself. Well, I admire that because I don't think I've even done that myself. Like even as a, a family person, just a family guy, whatever, a father now, it's so hard to take that time it is. to go and do those things. So I definitely admire that decision. So in all of this process, what led to this specific location, the UK? And we'll dig in more about the, is it the a, a Buddhist ministry centers where you ended up going to? Do you want to jump in here and talk about what led to that specific location? Man, this was actually, it's kind of like, sometimes I'm very sporadic and very much just like a, okay, cool, let's do this. I want to do that. So I was trying to figure out ways to be able to go abroad, and I know how much it costs to go abroad. It's expensive to be able to figure that out. So one thing that I started thinking about was I had a couple of friends that had done work abroad or volunteering abroad, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, what, like, what, what, what programs are out there? What, what can I kind of get into? And I found World Packers, which is a work exchange, and you could go in, you create a profile. Once you've created this profile. They can help match you up with jobs that are fit kind of your profile and fit kind of your desires, what you're looking for. And for me, I found, gosh, there was tens of jobs, not, well, let's say there's about 15 or 20 that I found. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to start looking into these, but I'm going to be very specific about what I'm going to like apply to. Mm -hmm. And I was applying to like working on a horse farm. I was applying to work on a tea farm. I was applying to work at a, uh, was it a hostel, just kind of helping outside a hostel, just these different little odd jobs that were there. And this one stood out. It is the Manjushri Kadampa Buddhist Meditation Center oh, okay. in Olverston, in Olverston, England. And so I applied for it. And this one I was the most scared about because I teach a little bit about Buddhism in seventh grade. But it's not something I'm familiar with. And that was one of those things that when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is something that could potentially like push me. Yeah. And, and, and a little more challenging. 
And also, well, I'm going to give some favoritism of them. They offered a, you know, I didn't have to pay for room and board and I got three meals a day and I got to there. What I wound up getting to do was working in the art studio and I oh, wanted to cool. work in the art studio and trying something a little different and that. And that means, so that kind of checked a lot of boxes. I applied. I didn't hear back for a while. This was, I literally started applying for these things in April <laughs> and yeah. then I didn't have a decision or anything really. No, I started applying in February. I didn't book a plane fi- flight until April. So that was one of those, like, I didn't, from February to April, I didn't hear anything other than a couple little things here and there. And some people were like, oh, maybe we can do this. There was a farm in uh, New Zealand that had septomy. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. But whenever I got down to it, it was in the middle of nowhere with, I didn't have, well, it was just nice being in the middle of nowhere. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it was, I had, they go, as a heads up, you don't have a car. There's no public transportation. You're going to be on the farm and we don't have any neighbors for like, we live on like, I think it was like a 2000 acre farm. And I was hmm. like, okay, this, wow. that's going to be, that's a little too much for me right now. <laughs> so yeah, and so was, they replied second. And then there was an Ireland horse center that responded. And I wound up going with the, the Kadampa, Manjushri Kadampa Buddhist meditation center. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I love, I would love to go to New Zealand too, which eventually is on my Same bucket here. list, but yeah, I think that would be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I was looking at it. I was like, okay, let me get on the map here because they kind of give you a city, yeah. but they don't give you like an address yet. And then they gave me an address and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this would be cool, but I, I need some interaction you can be <laughs> out there with the sheep, right? Cause I think New Zealand has more sheep than they do people there. So something like that. Yeah. I'm sure there's something on those lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to kind of what we were mentioning earlier. So we talked about those fears and anxieties before you left the trip. Uh, for the trip, did you have any specific anxieties or fears about what might happen or, you know, the, the fears of the risk involved? Um, if so, how did you overcome some of these? I had so much anxiety involved around this trip. And my wife is very supportive. I love my wife, Katie. Shout out, Katie, on uh, being always super supportive and helping me out with these things. Whenever I would start to kind of create something, go through a plan, she goes, okay, what do you, what do you got? Like, what, where, what do you, do you have everything in order? Have you thought about this? taught me through what you're kind of doing, which was a, a big help of just mm-hmm. talking through it. And so whenever I, I booked my plane ticket, I usually don't buy the insurance. I usually just don't. So I bought the insurance. That made me feel a little safer about the trip. And then I, I chose a direct flight. That made me feel a little safer because of, I was like, okay, I, if I'm getting off a, a plane, I'm going to go to somewhere else. I have to get onto another plane. And what's going to wind up happening with my mindset? So I was like, okay, direct flight. It was actually cheaper, surprisingly, which kind of blew my mind. Oh, yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. That's one thing. I feel a little safer on that. Check. Okay. I'm going to look at medical insurance because I'm like, okay, being abroad, I'm going to be gone for literally four weeks. What could medically go wrong? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy some medical insurance. So I bought like a little abroad medical insurance policy. That was a little, you know, stress relief as well, getting that off. And then I was like, phone. Okay. I don't want to be, I don't want to call people. I just want to be able to have the opportunity like to text or something like that if I need to. So... It took me forever to like, do I buy a phone? Do I just buy a Zim card? Do I do this? So I bought this little Zim card that had, it was supposed to have 20 gigs of data. It only wound up having like two. Oh, so gosh. that was really good though to like really help me in of saying, you can only use this much. Yeah. And this time, and all, all that came down to really using Google like Google Maps in order to get places. But that was another comment. It's like, hey, I got this. And something that I've been doing lately that I was trying to get better at was journaling. So I had this little journal that I took with me, which I'm going to reference again later of how like, significant this journal was to me it literally helped me write things down that what I, what are you feeling at this point what do you like what why are you feeling this way 
and like just going through the details of writing. So it was a calming mechanism for me. And something I made it a point to do was whenever I wrote something down on the page and I realized kind of what it was and I was past it, I would crumple up the paper and throw it away. Hmm. So it was like, hey, you had the thought, it was there, it's gone. No, I kept a journal of the things that I did that those days and yeah. things like that. I wrote every day. Like I wrote every single day. And so that was that was something that was very powerful for me to ha- that was a tool for my like toolbox that I had learned through therapy. And then like taking away that internet was something that it wouldn't be a distraction. Yeah. It needed to be. So that was something that was gonna be a way for me to focus more on yeah. what was going on. So that made me feel a little better that hey, you're gonna you're you're getting away from all these different things. So you need to focus on you. You need so that that kind of helped with the anxiety coming down and that's you know taking all the tools from the toolbox and I was adding more tools whenever I was going over there. Well that's awesome. I mean I think that piece of of taking the internet away, some of these pieces that you typically rely on, is almost like a detox. It was a great detox. Yeah. That's a great term to use. And I I think I've 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 been seeking something like that myself recently by I personally have a, I would say almost an addiction to certain sites. Like I don't, I'm not on social media. So some of those don't yeah. do it, but like YouTube or some of those videos, like it's like a comfort place to go to, to distract yourself from really thinking through a lot of things. It entirely is. Every morning I wake up and throughout the day, I look up four things on a search engine just to see if anything's changed in it. And I don't know why it's just a weird OCD thing yeah. that's there. I, I check AEW wrestling and, and then I'd look at the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Hawks, and I don't even like follow the Atlanta Hawks. That, <laughs> I like I, I care that they're doing something. And then Atlanta United. Yeah. And then after that, I feel good. I don't know, but it's that it's that weird little sensation or something yeah, that just, calms the brain. I mean, it's there. I mean, I I have after recently kind of going away from a lot of those things. What happens though is it's almost like a withdrawal. It totally is. Yeah. And so oh you, man, you I went through withdrawals. Yeah. <laughs> I went you through start withdrawal. to like realize that you have to think and you know not push those because we have what good thoughts, bad thoughts, all of it. Yep. But all the time. typically when the bad thoughts pop up, that's when we're like, I'm going to go to YouTube and watch some stupid video. Yeah, it, it makes me laugh or yeah. it makes me do this. And that kind of yeah. numbs yourself to it. So, I mean, I bet during this trip that, you know, you think of like going to a meditation, Buddhist meditation center, I think of almost like uh, a calming process. But I bet there were times when it was very stressful. Oh my gosh, there were some very stressful moments. So. I'm going to put a log on the fire real quick. Okay, like, yeah. you keep, I'm listening we to you. We haven't talked about that yet. I'll bring that up. So Talk about it real quick. I got here this morning and Katie decided to uh, put a fire together for us. So we're outside and sitting by a bonfire, which was a special treat for me. I wasn't expecting. So I think Kate said he woke up and about 8.15 this morning said, you know what, we're going to do this by the bonfire. And that's where we are. I'm enjoying this. The weather is amazing. Yeah, it's in the 70s right now. Yeah, it's so good. I've been looking forward to some nicer weather after a summer of heat. Um, I'm hoping that we can pick up some of the small itty-bitty noises in the background, too. I think so. Yeah, you can hear the wind blowing through the trees. and the, yeah. My the, cats are back here in the back. I'm sure eventually they'll start getting angry at me. They want to go inside or something. We'll see kind of what happens. So, yeah, you mentioned the detox, the, the time that you know you needed there to... to um, just regroup. I feel like yeah. it was this really regroup and figure out who in the world is Kate Curtis. <laughs> right. Who are we? That's a good who question, right? Uh, who are we? And I know you were going to, you mentioned Alan White, so that's a big question of his. So let's, let's jump into the, the logistics of the day by days of what that first day looked like. Because I know for me, travel is something that is, um, I would consider it like a luxury or it's like a, Many people think of it almost like a fantasy. It's like, I want to go do this thing, right? Yeah. But there's also, as I learned in our recent trip to UK, there's 
there's a component of travel that's actually stressful. Oh, entirely. Right? It's all so the, much. the little things. And it takes a certain level of organization and, you know, trying to dig through all the, the minutia of, of travel. And so let's jump into that. That first day when you left, give me that play-by-play of from the moment you left till you arrive over in the UK. It's really surreal whenever you have this backpack that's packed uh-huh. and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I'm still at home. I see the backpack. So I'm looking at the fire and it's like, catch me off guard a little bit. It's, it's very calming. Uh, it's also, I'm getting smoke in my face. <laughs> <laughs> but so I have this backpack, I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, this is like, this is real. This is fully packed. Thank you, Chris Bias, for letting me borrow your, uh, your backpack that you used uh, to take through Europe and letting go back to Europe. So, I mean, I look at it, it's packed. I put up my back, you feel the weight of it. And all of a sudden when you feel that weight on your back, you realize, okay, this is now a metaphorical weight in like in a physical weight that's going on my body. So the anxiety started to set in. Katie took me to the airport and I'm still thinking, okay, cool. This is fine. Nothing's too crazy on it. And as soon as I get to customs and they scan my passport, Mm -hmm. it gets real. I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, this like the negative talk sets in very quickly. Of what are you doing? Why, like, really? Can you do this? Are you are you going to be okay with this? And I mean, my brain's going a hundred miles an hour, one after the other, and after the other, which is something I heavily struggle with of that negative talk. And when I got to my terminal, I sat down, I pulled up my journal, and there is a book that you mentioned during our walk, and it was Alan Watts' the book. Yeah, it was really just the book. The book and. So whenever I pull it out and I hadn't, I hadn't read it yet, I hadn't touched it, hadn't read anything yet on it. And I was going to make it a point that I was going to finish this book while I was on this trip. I was going to read it a little bit every day. I was going to finish it. And so I opened up the book and started reading it. And the thoughts that were running through my head, I was like, this is, this is in the book. Like, we're going to talk about this. Like, yeah. cool. I want to go through this journey with the book, with myself. And it was really neat to kind of, kind of see, to see that. And then we get ready to board. And it starts going again because I start hearing all these diff- the people that are traveling that maybe had layovers or you hear all these different languages and you hear all this different stuff and people telling different stories and people being excited but at the same time being freaked out that we're going to be on a plane for 10 hours. It's a long trip, like, yeah. It's a long it's a long trip. So we get on the pl- on the plane and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to drink. Like my plan is I'm not going to get a drink in order to try to soothe things out. I want to feel the emotions of what's kind of going on and I'm, I'm going to try just to go through this. I get on the plane and I can't sleep. I was like, cool, I'm going to sleep because I made it a point to not sleep much the night before in order to be exhausted. Yeah. Like the goal was to be exhausted. So I get on the plane and we get going. Thankfully, I was able to get, it was, the rows were two, four, two. And so I made sure I got in the two row next near the window, but in the aisle way, because if I have like, I don't have restless leg syndrome, but I pretty much have restless leg syndrome. <laughs> I, I, I'm like a seven foot man, but only six foot, like five feet 11. So I stretch my feet out everywhere because they cramp up. And so my feet start cramping, my body starts cramping. I'm just kind of like freaking out a little bit. And so I started looking at the movies just because of, I was like, hey, you know, I always, this is something that I'm like, familiar with. I made sure to pack headphones to plug in in Creed 3 is on there. Boxing movie. I love the Rocky series and Creed 3 is on here. And what's ironic is I have seen all the Creed movies on a plane. I've never watched okay. them in theaters, never watched them anywhere else. It's <laughs> always been on a plane. And so I was like, I got I got to finish where we're currently. At. I don't know if there's going to be a fourth one. So I sat down and I watched that one. And then I probably wind up watching two or three more movies before 
I eventually fell asleep during the middle of a documentary. Was this an overnight trip? Yeah, we were okay. we were on the red eye, red which eye. was okay, nice. Okay. So uh, it was we got fed twice. Mm. We got dinner and then we got breakfast. So we got we got fed and I got woke up whenever they came by a couple times. So I think I wound up getting a couple hours of sleep. Okay. But then once we once they announced, hey, we're getting ready to go over the top of uh, Scotland. If you want to look out to see, and so I look out the window and all of a sudden I realized. All I had seen was ocean for a long time, and holy crap, there's land mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen, and I hadn't. I've never been to Scotland. This was another checking off. I, I was going to Edinburgh, Scotland, to land, and so I land there, and I'm like, wow, like okay, I'm here. I get off the plane, and I had instructions to how to set up my phone because I couldn't set up my phone before because until, you, until yeah. you get there and get on the on a Wi-Fi network in order to accept it. So my brain's going, I'm going to get here. And my phone's going to wind up not accepting the ZIM card. And it's going to cost me a, a couple hundred dollars to, to get another phone. Yeah. I'm like, crap. It's surprising how much like it costs just to be able to communicate in other countries. It does. Yeah. It does. That, and so I plug it in. And I put it in. And it accepts the ZIM card. And so the first thing I do is I send like a message to, I think I sent one, it's, it's like my mom, my dad, brother, sister, and everything. Hey, Zorro, you going to come Hi. and check in? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have an episode one day. We're going to work on it. You should. Yeah. We're, we're going to work on it. And so I, and I sent a message to send a message and I turn my phone off just because I'm like, I know where I'm going to, I'm going to get on the tram and I'm going to go into down into Edinburgh, like the downtown area. So well, that's kind of a, a breakdown from leaving to getting there. And it was, I thank God I had a carry on backpack. That thing was a saving grace that having oh, yeah. the big trap, this big enough size that it's legal to have, that it's not a check-in bag. At this point in travel, it's almost the way you have to go. Because, you have to. You know, checking in bags and then getting it and going and picking it up, it takes up so much time and you can lose things and it's always going to keep things on me. So always, you can't lose something that's on your back. Exactly. Well, that's a perfect opportunity to segue into some of the other places you went to. You mentioned Edinburgh. So we're going to jump into the time before you get into the meditation center or even outside of that time. What were some of your favorite moments or experiences around the UK? Um, I'm going to go and apologize to those that love Edinburgh. I was not a huge fan after a couple of days of being there because I didn't get, I wanted to go on the Highlands. I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Money, you have to really, as we mentioned, you have to be very careful with your money uh, in terms of being able to spend. And I wound up spending three and a half days in Edinburgh. And I think it was a day and a half too much because mm. you start doing all the different stuff and you start seeing all these different things. And for me, the trip, I think part of the reason why I didn't like it is because of the trip for me was supposed to be getting away from society a little bit. And I was so much in society and it was so much just, it was, it's a tourist area and they were getting ready for the jazz festival that was coming up. And so there's a lot of more people coming in there and I didn't feel like I got to experience a local experience as a result of that. So I guess it wasn't my favorite in, in the sense of being there, but I I just didn't have the money to go out elsewhere. So it kind of comes in that play, but by the second to last day, I will say that the experience of, I got to the point where I said, screw it. I'm just going to walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get out and I'm going to walk. And so what I wind up doing was I got up, I walked to Portobello beach. I was staying on the shore, which is further down on the, the third to last stop on the tram. I walked to Portobello beach, which is, or Portobello. Is it Portobello or Portobello? I can't Port- remember specifically. Portobello. So like, yeah. I, it, something like yeah, we'll, mushroom. I think, we'll go yeah. with the mushroom. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And so I walked down there and walked the beach. And that took me about an hour and a half to get there, to the, to the beach. And I get there and I go, cool, okay, I'm on the beach, walk the beach. 
I got there in low tide, so I got to see all the weird little like things that were out there that were uh, just kind of like, stuck, like jellyfish and things like that. And there was a couple of kids uh, that were running down, kicking a soccer ball, and it was a misty kind of day. So, you know, like in normal Scotland, misty yeah. day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Nice. Okay, I've hiked. I've walked here. What's next? I'm like, do I want to catch a bus? No, Kate, you're not going to catch a bus. You said you were going to walk all day today. I'm like, okay. In my brain, I'm going to walk. And there's this place called Arthur's Seat. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It literally is the highest part in Edinburgh to be able. You can look over the entire area, and it's this mountain. I'm not going to call it a mountain. It's more like a I, hill. I think a lot of that is like I was surprised too when we were there. That is used to be volcanic. Yeah, it used to be a volcano. Yeah, and yep. so a lot of uh, Edinburgh is very hilly. Which yep. when I think of the UK, I don't think of that. But this particular city is lots of hills and lots of little places like you're talking about where you mm-hmm. can go hike because. It used to be more of a volcanic region. It entirely was. Like, that's the cool thing about it. That's what makes the highlands, the highlands, all the glaciers and stuff that kind oh, of yeah. came popping through. So I walked Arthur's seat. I stood up there and it was super windy once you get down to the top and there's all these people around there and I'm like, okay, cool. This is neat. Uh, then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm done. I got here. I did it. Where am I going next? I walked down to the bottom of the hill and it turns out there's parliament at the bottom of the hill. I'm like, cool. I guess I want to go tour parliament because I teach a little bit about the parliamentary system. So walk that. Right above there was Calton Hill. So I was like, cool, I'm going to walk up Colton Hill. Then I walk up to the top and I go, okay, what am I doing next? So I found some place to eat. I ate. And I'm like, still, I have, I have a concert I'm going to this evening. Find something else to do, Cade. So I went down to uh, Princess Street Garden, which is right in front of the uh, Edinburgh Castle, mm-hmm. and hung out there, took a small little nap, and woke up. Didn't really feel hungry, so I bought... I bought a bunch of chocolate. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have some chocolate. And so I bought some chocolate and walked down to St. Mary's uh, Episcopal Cathedral. And they were doing, I bought a ticket to see a candlelight concert, not like actual real candles, but like the electric candles. Because if, if you're lighting up hundreds of candles inside a, a building, I don't know if it's the safest of things uh, anymore. <laughs> but it would have been cool if they did that. I was hoping they were. But uh, And it was surrounded by this piano. And the, the pianist came out and played Elton John songs for like uh, an hour. Okay. And I think that she played like 16 songs. Maybe it was close, maybe it's close to two hours. But I'd gone to a concert every night before that. That was kind of like my detox. Like, do things that you like, Cade, because of once you get down to where you're going, you're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was all kind of before that, before going down to, to Ulverston. And I really enjoyed exploring some of the streets and doing some of the things, but getting inside the buildings just, it didn't do anything for me. I enjoyed being outside though. That was so good to do that and there's a lot of experiences we'll discuss later that once we get down to Olverston that was just as amazing I think it really set the tone of I need to walk I, my brain needed just to cut loose and walk yeah I so. think it, with the first day we were in Edinburgh that's essentially what we did I mean we, we ended up getting a rental car later which was a whole thing in driving you know driving in London and UK and it's Scotland is very different but just the city itself it was just an old city a European yeah. city which was nice to see but we had just came from London and so the big difference was those hills, the streets. Oh, lot, drastically. You know, it's very, very different. And then it feels like to me, like Edinburgh is like a, a so old, but all the buildings have a similar look. Like they're stained a certain brown yeah. color. So at some point, everything just looks the same. Um, like even, Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. It is a very beautiful, beautiful. old city. And I think, but I, you know, but as you mentioned, every corner you go around, it's like, did I just walk around this place already? Am I in circles? Because yeah. it's very much the same, which is that very beautiful. Yeah. Very beautiful. A lot of great history there. I just think my mindset was somewhere else at that point. And so I think I was almost being negative towards it in a way. I don't know why this is kind of, uh, I think I should have 
dealt with the money and just kind of bit the bullet and maybe rented a car or gone somewhere else. But that wasn't the budget because I'm a very much a numbers person when it comes to money. And I was like, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Got to stick to my, got to stick to my uh, beliefs there of what I wanted to do. Well, I mean, it's still an amazing way to start the trip though. I mean, it was, it was, um, I did like three and a half days there. No, very so, cool. But one and a half too many. <laughs> well, let's jump into the time at the meditation center. So you is you said Ulverston, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Ulverston. Ulverston, England. Okay. It's about in... an hour north of Blackpool. It's on the west coast, down in the Lake District, which okay. is one of the, they consider one of the most beautiful places to go and visit in, in uh, the world, especially in the UK because of just how the trees and the the lakes and all the different stuff that's kind of there. the scenery is just amazing how did you get from Edinburgh down to there so I took a, a train uh-huh. and I totally did not realize there was a strike going on it's been going on for it's still going on it's been going on for about a year on the train lines and my brain was thinking okay train ticket I didn't I, I looked online I was like okay cool they're like 40 50 pounds awesome that's fine no issue with that but when I get there to go I should have booked a ticket in advance but when I get there to, and I buy a ticket it's like 75, 80 pounds. And I was huh. like, wait, I remember being like 40 or like 50 kind of pounds. What's going on? And, I, and this is when I learned, I realized, okay, this is a private system that the prices could fluctuate mm-hmm. like a plane ticket. And I wanted to get down there at a certain time and I didn't plan in advance on that. And so ultimately I wound up spending somewhere between 70, 80 pounds when I expect on spending somewhere between 30 and 50. And I was like, crap. <laughs> and, but it was a nice train ride down. I will admit, trains are amazing over there. Uh, it, it, the trains is so nice, and you can get around easily on it. It's just a little expensive to to be able to do it, unless you can get on one of the cheap ones that may not cancel on you. <laughs> I had yeah. I had two trains cancel on me several times, which oh, wow. left me stranded at one point. But it was fine. I was able to get another train, uh, but I went ahead and paid three times more than I originally wanted to. Yeah, it is a bit of a confusing system. I mean, there's so many yeah. different trains and different companies, and just try, trying to figure it all out. Yep. And so that was a big thing for us too, which is navigating all of that. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's not as easy as it seems. No. Um, and there's so many different apps and so many different stuff to children to be able to use. And yeah. Do. Yeah. So that, yeah. like you go to the one station, but there's like three different companies within oh, the station. Yeah. And so it's, you know, figuring out which one to go to and mm-hmm. which one goes which place. And so it's. And if you definitely get on the wrong train, you get fined like a hundred pounds for uh, like somewhere between like a hundred and 250 pounds for not having the right proper ticket. And they'll take you, they'll get you off. I yeah. Mean, they'll tell they'll you, get you off right there and you got to yeah. pay the fine. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the meditation center then. So, what did it, what did a typical day look like when you were there? Well, like let let me draw back a second for about the meditation centers because there's different type. I'm going I'm not going to a Buddhist meditation center, but this is a the Kadampas. I went to Manjushri Kadampa Buddhist Meditation Center, but the Kadampas are a little different type of Buddhism. They're basically I'm going to butcher some of these names. I apologize, guys. It's the um, Mahayana Buddhist school, like which is founded in was founded in, in India by one of the Buddhist masters, Atisha, in between 480 to like 1054 kind of range, somewhere in that range on it. And the word Kadampa, basically Ka, is refers to kind of the Buddhist teachings in Dham. The um, Atisha's basically special Limran instructions, basically his instructions that he left behind, was for the Kadampas then... Uh, they're basically become like practitioners in regards to these Buddhist teachings as these like personal instructions and to be able to put them into practice and being able to follow these instructions of the the Lamrim. And by integrating these understandings of all the different Buddhists, because there are like 
hundreds of Buddhas here. A lot of people think of this the one Buddha. There are hundreds of Buddhas. Any person can really become a Buddha mm-hmm. with true enlightenment. That's yeah. one thing a lot of people don't think about. They just think of the one. And with these practices that they're integrating these experiences into their everyday lives. And the Kadampas use these teachings and these practical methods for essentially just kind of transforming their daily activities and leading on this path of enlightenment. That, so that kind of gives a little bit of about the Kadampas itself because it's a different type of Buddhism. They've kind of branched themselves out. Like we have the Methodists yeah. and the Lutherans and all this stuff. It's just a different type. And they translated everything over to English. Okay. And so that was a, a big deal to be able to do that because of the, the leader at the time goes, if we transfer this, this is in the, in the 1900s when it gets transferred over to English. But he goes, if we transfer this into English, we can be able to then translate it easier out rather than Tibetan, which is so much harder to translate. Hmm. So, uh, that, this, sorry, I want to give no, an outline on that before we kind of get there because it's important to understand that there is a different type of Buddhism. From what I can tell from that, it's really just they've taken this, these, this set of um, practices and um, beliefs that, you know, the Buddha or Buddhas were able to put together brought to English and now let's see how we can apply this to our life. How can yeah. we can we make this part of our daily routines? Sorry, I'm watching the cats go right, right by. <laughs> Yeah, and it is. It really is. And they have thousands of centers around the world, uh-huh. but this is the headquarters. Oh, okay. Like, this is the main center area of it. And so that's kind of was really neat to kind of to, to go to that. So yeah, sorry I didn't interrupt that. I, ha- I wanted to make sure I gave that outline. You no, asked for what was the question? So basically, what is your what does the day look like there? So if, whether it's yours or what their typical routines look like, uh, paint a picture of what it looks like to be there during the day. So I'll kind of just go through like my I'll go through like a weird hourly schedule and then I'll go into a little bit more detail on it. Was we wake up? I woke up personally around like six because if I was staying on the top floor of the center and it was like three floors and this is like an old mansion kind of deal like a, a ten, what's the word um priory it's an old priory that's the word i'm looking for it's an old priory and so it's it's like a this big old mansion but they've converted it into a living space and but it's not not it's not a luxurious place it's very basic very simple and so i wake up around six because of i i was on the top bunk next to the window and we kept the window open because it was just the temperatures were amazing in comparison to over here during the summer in the sun would come in, it would wake me up around six. So I'd get up around six and I'd go down to breakfast to the servery and eat. And we have breakfast was, they put it out overnight because it was the same stuff every day. It was basically, a, you could have some kind of oats or some kind of cereal or something I had to be able to get into. So I'd go down and breakfast was there till about nine. So I'd eat and hang out for a little while. There's a couple people that I'm going to mention in a little while uh, that were very important to uh, the trip. Eat and then from nine o'clock until roughly about one fifteen there would be, we'd be working at our volunteer sections. Mm-hmm. That, and there was different areas of like, there was long crews, there was uh, people working in the art center, there's people working in the book center, there's people working all these different little spots. And I was a part of the art center, so that's where I would go down to. My my crow's a little upset this morning. <laughs> Let, he's letting everybody know that he's not happy with us being out here. But then around two o'clock is when we had lunch. And lunch was an hour long. You had an hour to be able to go in and eat from serving it. We had like an hour and a half, two hour break. But from two, from I think it was like one o'clock to about two or maybe 1230, 12.30 to two. That was it. And we would eat around one, two o'clock that time period to eat. And that two o'clock to 2.15, they would do a 15 minute meditation. 
which you could go to. It was open to the public because this meditation center is completely open to the public. It's every, anybody can be able to come. There's a cafe that people come and just eat at the cafe and then leave. And there's kids that are coming through in, in school groups. I wish we could have gone on a school trip to like a church oh, yeah. or something like that back in the day. Just get an introduction to it. So I'd eat, go back to work until 5. And at 6.15, we'd have dinner. And back at the servery, it was some of the really amazing good meals uh, that were there. I wish we had more stuff actually for like, wish we would have had a garden that they actually would have like grown more stuff that we would have eaten. But we were bringing in all these different foods and stuff from outside. And some of it was processed that was going to be cooked up. And I was thinking it was going to be a little bit more organic mm-hmm. kind of related. But again, that's it's hard when you're you're feeding about 200 people. Oh, wow, yeah. So that's really challenging to be able to kind of do something like that. So I ate. And then after that, from literally after you eat, after you're done with your work at five o'clock, you're on your own. You do whatever you wanted to do. There is no really a set plan. There's not a location for all the volunteers to kind of hang out at. We just went down to the servery or went walking or went into town. And so most of the time I went down and just kind of sit down in the servery. And Helen and David are the two people that basically made the trip for me. That, mm-hmm. that Meeting those two people was more important than being on at the center itself. they The center was our connection to get us connected together. Yeah, We played a lot of cards and we would tell a lot of stories and just kind of catch up on these different things. And they are much older than me. Yeah, and But I, I kind of, I'm an old soul at heart anyway, so I kind of connected in with these people. And Wispop was the card game that I learned from Helen. Okay. Shout out to Helen on teaching me Wispop. I love the game. It's, it's awesome. It's a mixture of like, rummy uh solitaire spades it's like all over the place but it's it's a fun little game and so we played that a lot almost every night we would sit down there and play that i would write we just talk for a little bit about the day what we were kind of feeling she worked in the cafeteria were they volunteers as well yeah we're okay. yeah they were volunteers okay. as well david was actually local not that he didn't live that far from the center he just wanted to actually come and experience it and stay on site and then Helen was, she's a backpacker, world traveler, kind of going around in these different places. She was in between going to her next location as well. Hmm. And so it was really neat hearing their stories and their experiences as well. And I, again, I love collecting stories and hearing people's yeah. experiences. So sitting and listening to them. And we all came in at the same time. So when we went to um, introductions for the new volunteers. We kind of met each other and we were kind of the oddballs that kind of connected together and kind of stuck together. So uh, it was cool. really, really powerful because it, it's hard to meet people, especially in your different areas. Yeah. So. I think that's those connections you make with people are that important piece that it really is. bring it together. It really is. And the weekends, we were on our own entirely. We had nothing after Friday. It was, hey, you want to do something on the weekends? Go for it. There that's was a awesome. train station that you could walk up to and catch a train. Or there was a lot of trails around the area because we were down in on the coast and there's a lot of trails to hike and I did a lot of hiking and walking around which was very needed for me but and that was really kind of a day-to-day what it kind of looked like and I'll talk about the art center in a little bit but that's a that was really powerful yeah kind of get to work at the that's, center. that's a, that was a day-to-day of it was almost like having a regular job it really because you're volunteering you're doing a job yeah. but there are there are services that we could go to and attend in uh, inside the temple and I would, whenever they had them, I tried to go because I wanted to fully get the experience of being there. What does it mean? And I bought a, co- a book or two when I was there and was reading, whenever I found literature and was reading literature about what is this place? Yeah. What is, I didn't do a lot of research for going. Well, let's, let's so, talk about that a little more then. Um, let's do it. Because something I personally find interesting and, you know, I have ideas in the future about how to, to 
maybe even make a different podcast related to this particular theme is things that are sacred. Yeah. And um, obviously, you know, different religions have different beliefs and practices and, you know, all of those things are interesting, but there's ultimately things that we find that are sacred. And that word to me has a lot of depth to it. There's a so, lot of depth to the word sacred because that means so many different things to different people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it, from a spiritual standpoint to, you know, like finding things in their life that can be important, whether it's like we mentioned people or things or rituals. So on this trip, would you say that you had any sacred or spiritual connections at, at this place or at any time during this experience? Really to start out, I didn't like, I, I kind of was hoping for something along the way. When I first got there, I was... I did feel a giant calming coming over me when I walked and got on the grounds of the center. I was like, wow, this is this is different. Okay. Overwhelmed anxiety, but all of a sudden it got really calm. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like, what's what's going on here? This is this is really neat. And got settled in. I got there on a Sunday. I was gonna start working on Monday. And I I walk in, I go, okay, I don't really have any much art experience other than I like the idea of art and I and I can I like to do spray spray paint t-shirts and and little things like that and shout out to my brother Corey for getting me kind of involved with that and being very interested with the arts in some ways and a lot of it was music for me was it was a big thing but I didn't know what was kind of going on so I, I get down to the art studio the first day and I am so frustrated with this piece I'm working on they give me this it's about three feet wide about two feet tall lotus flower hmm. and they're like hey they they do these things of mold casts and when they pull them out of a cast it's this clay that's like hardened and there's a something else that's um to harden it to keep it kind of in place and they go we got to trim off the imperfections we got to take out the air bubbles we got to sand it down so it's nice and smooth so we can then basically paint it and they make all of the spiritual statues that go to all the centers around the world at oh, this wow. location at this okay. small little art studio and so i'm going you're giving me this art piece to work on <laughs> that I have no training, no previous experience with. And so working on it, okay, I'm like, okay, getting into like trying to find like, feel it, get, you know, in touch with it, try to figure out what to do. Because that was one thing they said, get in touch with the piece, become familiar with the piece. And I'm like, okay, crap. <laughs> I am not getting this. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting ticked off with it. I'm getting confused. I can't do this. And for like, three or four days I'm just fighting this piece, fighting it and just not being able to find peace with it. And eventually they come up to me on the second week partway through and goes, we're going to take you off of this because of not because you're taking forever on it. That's fine. It's we know you're struggling and we wanted you to try to go through it, but we think we can, you need to push you onto something else. And they put me on these small, intricate little hands and these little roses and things that were going on in the statue. And I go, I'm going to break this thing. It's so tiny. Like, and they're very thin too. And they're like, warning, if you stand too much on it, it's going to break. Or these little air pockets, if you don't do it, being very delicate with it, it's going to bust. And I'm thinking, you gave this to the wrong person. <laughs> I am, I break things left and right. I am notorious for breaking things. I am harsh on stuff. And so it was very like spiritual for me to be able to, I did so great with it. I mean, it was amazing. I'm like, holy moly, I'm good at this, man. I'm getting hit with smoke all over the place. Exactly. I think we chose that the wind is getting against us. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm getting into it. And I'm actually doing really good with it. And they're like, oh, wow, like you're, you're handling this really well. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I actually am. So I went through a couple of different pieces of working with these different hands and working with these different roses and stuff and feeling a hand inside your hand. Hmm. So weird. 
It's like, you know, whenever you have a, a baby and yeah. the baby touches your hand and there's that, wow, there's life in this. There's, there's some kind of something bigger than me inside here. And I don't know why, but I had that experience with these hands I was working with hmm. and being very delicate is not something with touching that I'm good with. And so I got really good at it in a way of over a couple of days. And so I felt like that was something very spiritual in a, in a way for me of that something came over me of that calmness. And while I was over there, my great uncle Weldon passed away hmm. and I got the message about that he had passed and everything. And towards about at the end of that week, they were doing this ceremony. I'm apologize. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's P-O-W-A. I'm going to say uh, Poa or, pa- or Pawa. And what it is, is it's a ceremony that is extremely beautiful of they come in and they do these little like liturgies that go through and they read and it's all these different tantras and stuff, which enables the benefits of sending the body, the spirit onto the next life okay. kind of deal. And it's, they do it for the entire people that died that month or to kind of give a healing to the people uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I need to go to this. My uncle just, my great uncle just passed. And I felt like this is something I need to experience. And it's like an hour and a half long. And a lot of this, I don't know what's going on because they do stuff in Tibetan. They do stuff in English and the whole weird back and forth. But that was a very good moment for me. I felt very kind of like spiritual to be able to have that. But being inside the temple itself was a different experience because you, you take off your shoes. You you walk inside this temple. You got to be quiet. You got to be calm. And going into a meditative state, I typically, whenever I, no offense to anybody within the church or anything like that, of it, I have a tendency to get warm or get comfortable and fall asleep during church. And I don't know why, but I have better like sessions when I do that because I feel like I kind of like actually like, get something more connected to it because I'm hearing somebody talking and it's like going to my dream or whatever I'm thinking about, but I never fell asleep. I never fell asleep during any of these times whenever doing meditations and stuff. And Mm. so I think that's a kind of like a spiritual kind of thing that kind of came up and there is the woods that surrounded the area. There were tons of trails that were just on the monastery uh, center meditation center area. So I'd walk these trails and I was, if I was, had some anxiety, I'd go walk on the trails and it was so calming. Like, I mean, I don't know what it was. Something came over me and I was calm. I walked down every morning when I got up and, and go down to, there was a bay uh, down there, not like a bay, like you would go swimming or anything. They said, don't go swimming in it. Stay on the rocks because we've had people that have died out there. It's because it's not deep too either. It's just very shallow, but the tide comes in really quickly and goes out and it's pretty shallow. But I would go and I'd skip rocks. I'd skip five rocks to 10 rocks every day and it would just kind of set my my tone up uh, before or after breakfast and came back. And that to me was kind of spiritual. But the book I mentioned earlier, the blue book that I had that I was writing down in, this thing was falling apart. Like every day I would have flipped the page to write a new page. I wrote 90 pages in this thing. Wow. But it's not like a big eight and a half or nine, by 11 page. These are like probably six by five. Yeah. Nothing like big. But I made sure I wrote every day front and back. And I mean, writing in this thing was so relieving and relaxing. And you, the book fell apart, <laughs> like literally fell apart. The binding came off of it. You mentioned earlier that writing was something that you had learned through your own therapy as well. Yeah. So to carry that forward into this experience. But would you say that you have continued to write the same way not afterwards? As, not as much, really. It's kind of stinks. It kind of felt like it kind of fell off a little bit. But I, I do this thing called Dalio. That's an app. And I make sure I write stuff about my day every day. So that's still there, but I wasn't physically handwriting it. I don't handwrite. I don't need to handwrite more, uh-huh. but I do occasionally sit down and write stuff out handwriting. Now 
My handwriting's terrible. I mean, it looks like chicken scratch. Yeah, but I don't think that for this, for this reason. It didn't matter. Yeah, you're just getting yeah. it out. And I, yeah. I did this on whenever I went to Karasavine when I was doing my student teaching. I wrote every day. And I have a giant book on that as well. So I kind of feel like whenever I go on a trip, I write physically on on paper more. But I don't know. I think it's a good practice. That's something I need to do myself more just because I think. But that book falling apart felt like a giant symbolism of like, okay, Cade, you can fall apart, but all the pages are still there. It, it's not going away. Like you still have the paper. You still have the story still there. You can be a little broken. That's okay. I feel like that was kind of what this, this book was telling me that it could be falling apart or you, and you're writing these things down on this paper and the paper could disappear, whatever, that's fine, but you're doing it. Like it's there. There's an Avid Brothers song uh, where he talks about lyrics. Yeah. And in the song, he said, I think I, I wrote all these songs and lyrics and then I burn every one of them. And it's almost like it was the process was not to do make a product. It was yeah. the experience of putting it together and just doing it and then letting it go. True. So um, it's almost sounds similar to what you were saying, that book falling apart, that just that. It, and the book meant this not was not the point. Exactly, that wasn't the whole meaning of why I was there. But the, it was those. That's uh, if that's. I think that's the best way to be able to answer what was kind of sacred and spiritual to me. That was it. Like that book was kind of that key thing of doing that. And I've, I've I had to open it back up the other day to uh, to go back through and read it just to kind of get prepared for this. And uh, I don't. It's not coming across that really well in the way I'm interpreting this and saying, cause I'm very kind of calm with it now, but I've been a nervous wreck about doing this. And this trip was hard. This trip was, it sounds like it was easy in some ways, but dude, this trip was so hard for me. It's, it yeah. was rough. It's, it's hard to, to be in a place, especially when there's no technology like we mentioned earlier. Well, I made it a point not to have the technology. Yeah, I had I mean, access, <laughs> but you weren't actively using it. I didn't it, use so. it until that, like the last couple of days I actually kind of broke down and started checking Facebook because I think my brain was like, okay, you've done like three weeks here on this. Like, give yourself something. I didn't do it a lot. I just did it for like five, ten minutes. But it's still like, I feel like it was almost like a reintroduction. But it felt like a, I was losing at that point as well. But you mentioned earlier that you've struggled in the past with things like, you know, I'm going to say like self-loathing or where you've struggled with yourself. Oh, yeah. Right. And so. Still do. And so to, to put yourself in. And the trip was what, about a month? Yeah, I was gone for four weeks in a day. So, but at the at the ministry, the uh, ministry, the meditative center was about three. I was there for three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. I was there for three weeks. So during that time itself, there's that's a lot of time that you were with your thoughts. Yeah, it is. That that's definitely a truth. Yeah, and so f- the the burden is placed on you to to have to deal with those thoughts. Yep, and facing so, them head on. And I think that's the point of some of these places is that. You, you can't just keep pushing it away. You have to, nope. you have to process through those things. And so it sounds like that, that book, a lot of these pieces were ways that you can do that. Yeah. And so. I finished the book on, I think it was the third, third week so, through. Well, I know this wasn't part of our plan, but what, what is it? What was your takeaway from Alan Watts, the book? You know, just in general, I love the way that Alan Watts writes. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. I was going to enjoy it for a little while. Cause oh my gosh, this is going to be a lot of religious based things. And it is, but he, he brings it back to a space that Alan Watts was essentially in the 1950s through eighties and nineties. I think he passed away in the eighties. I can't remember specifically. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was probably 80s. yeah, but he wrote all this stuff about Eastern religions, uh-huh. but in, it brought it into Western perspective. Yes. And I love that. And, but the book itself made me think about the examples that he would say of, okay, 
this is the way that we are brought up to think about this. Mm-hmm. I think this is BS. <laughs> or or like in his mind, I think this is BS. I wish, he, he says it in the beginning of the book, I wish this was a book that someone wrote and gave to me yeah, yeah, whenever yeah. I was young. That was kind of the reason for the name of the book. Exactly. He said, supposedly, maybe it's in Japan. I'm, I'm, please forgive me if I get this wrong. But there's a, I guess, a belief system or a, a in Eastern philosophies that says you should pass things on to the next generation. Like here's everything you need to know before becoming an adult or getting into the, into, into life. And that was the reason he wanted to create the book book. that he could pass on to his own children that says, here's what you need to know. And I, I think for me, whenever I get to a topic that he would be, he had the different chapters and different sections for me, it was, I would stop and I would write something about that topic or I would sit there and ask some of my questions to myself about that. And I think that was, it was almost like an extra guide that was there, which was so cool yeah. to kind of think about that. And being at a Buddhist meditation center too, it was like, he's talking a lot about Buddhism itself. Cause it is, that's yeah, his whole yeah. thing is Buddhism for the most part. Yeah, Like he brings in Hinduism and things like that. A lot of the Eastern religions, but most of it is Buddhism. Yeah, he has a lot of connections with Buddhism, uh, which I mean, growing up myself in North Georgia in a very Christian, uh, world yeah, Cherokee County was the same way growing yeah, up. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's almost like you get a I always call them a lens, right? Oh, like yeah. you put on a pair of glasses and everything you see through these lenses is kind of created through your upbringing, yeah. you know, and whether that's the religion or other pieces, you kind of see the world through that line, that area. And so what that book did to me was almost like took those glasses off for a minute and yes. say, here's the world in a different way of looking. And it's okay to look at it this way, you know, even if I don't agree with everything he says, it's at least gives me a different set of lens to put on temporarily yeah. that says, oh, exactly. okay, this is not the same thing I've been told my entire life. So nope. that's, kinda, that's very true. Yeah. It's kind of nice. I think I'm on my third book by him now oh, really? like, that I've, I'm not like searching up and reading a little bit more on his stuff. And cause I read a lot of self-help books. I will admit yeah. I'm a self-help like junkie of reading the stuff and I need to be better about like actually invoking and using a bunch of stuff. But his is definitely on the self-help kind of realm, but yeah. not calling it a self-help realm. He's a great but it has speaker that feeling. too. And yes, so... and speeching his his articles, like one of the other the other book that I, the second book I read is nothing but scholarly articles that they compiled together Yeah. after his death. And I'm like, this is so cool. Just like in five pages, he explained something that would have taken like a whole, you could write two books on. Yeah, his auto, and he broke it down. He wrote a biography before he, uh, autobiography before he died. That's on and, my list to read. Yeah, and that one itself is very much it's not even really about him. It's just the funny part. It's just his kind of views of life that he's learned, but um, it's really good too. But I would definitely check out some of his speeches um, because he just has a way of speaking that like you said earlier. It's very that precise. It, it doesn't come yeah. across like, you know, someone who's trying to preach to you. It's just more, here's, um, here's some information here's that I've not. learned. I would yeah. like, to, I'd like to share it with you. You know, yeah. it's, it's really good. Well, we could probably talk about that for another hour. So, oh, dude, no, entirely. I think it would be fun to do an episode on Alan Watts. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we should that. sit down and do like a thing on Alan Watts. I could do that. Next, this season is going to be a little different, y'all. Just kind of give you the heads up. I'm going to have some people interviewing their friends. I'm going to like, and I'm just going to sit there and record it and maybe interject here and there. I'm going to have uh, different quotes that are going to be not just from my mom. There's going to be from other people that are kind of important to me or connected to me in some realm. So I don't know. I'm going to change it up this season. Sometimes so that, you have you know, to yeah, keep it we'll interesting. It goes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, so let's jump back into the questions. Yeah, let's get back in. We um, write. I, I have to go by outlines. It helps me out, guys. I'm just throwing that out there. It helps me keep notes and everything. And so, I'm like, that's that's something that you know, peeking behind the curtain again. Uh, while you were there, 
was it difficult to be away from home for that long? And how did you stay connected with your family? That was really hard. I'm not going to lie. I grew up here in Cherokee County. I left for a while. I came back. And through my PTSD and having all those anxiety and depression issues as a result of that, this is my comfort zone. This is my net, safety net and everything. So walking away from your safety net and not having anybody there for if I fall or have some kind of issue to it was hard. Like knowing, okay, Kate, all you have is your medication. Good luck. And kind of going over and doing it. But I felt like I had worked my way up to doing it. And I mean, that was, that was very difficult to accept that, that you are walking away and going away for four weeks. That's, I made it a point to be gone for at least more than two weeks. And it just turned out to be four. <laughs> like it wound up being four. But, uh, and I think that was very good and very challenging, but it was very much a, I had to really force myself to do that in order to keep contact. I wrote Katie every day mm-hmm. when I wrote my journal. I, I also would first handwrite it and then physically, um, read it and put it into this app called a uh, Dalio. And I would copy that and send it to Katie every day as like, Hey, this is what was going on in my day. Cause I always come home and I talk to my wife about what happened in the day and we check in with each other. And so, uh, but I didn't, I, I called maybe three or four times over Facebook chat and talked to her, I called and talked to my mom and dad once, but I tried to make it a point not to be as like fully like having these long conversations. Cause I wanted to make sure that I was there mm-hmm. that I was present there in that location. So just sending the email was kind of the, the whole one way of keeping kind of in touch there. I felt, I'm so sorry that this, I can see your eyes are drying out, man. It's okay. We're making it. We're going to do this. <laughs> they, they are drying out. I can it see. Okay. Every once in a while, the smoke will hit you right there. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you feel there it. we are. Uh, you, you feel it. So that's, yeah, f- sending the emails and doing the Facebook, I think I did like four, maybe five Facebook chats. Okay. And that was towards the end of the trip, not the first of the trip, towards the end of the trip. Oh yeah, Facebooked, chatted my niece and nephew once. That was cool. But I did it during quiet hours, which was not the smartest of things. We had a thing <laughs> called at 10 o'clock, it went to quiet hour. Yeah. It's from 10 o'clock to six o'clock. And you could be doing stuff, but you had to be make sure that you were being extra quiet. We had the time difference. So, so yeah, and yeah, you also had the time difference. Yeah. yeah. So you had So it worked out better for me to call them at that time because yeah. t- it's five hours ahead. Yes. Yeah. So Well, very cool. I mean, that's I think that's important to still make those connections while having that uh, time for solitude. So um and maybe this is part of that as well. So lessons that you learned from this trip that you could share with others who you think could do something similar, who maybe have some of the same feelings or anxieties or some of the same struggles that you may go through. What are some things that you learned from this that they may be able to do? I'm going to use an analogy here of you want to go skydiving. You're afraid of heights. I don't want to go skydiving. Well, I, <laughs> I did it once. I did it once and it was, it was scary as I'll get out. But say you want to go skydiving. Uh-huh. You want to do it, but you have this huge fear of heights. Okay. Start out with go onto a bridge. Just walk out onto a bridge and look down at the water or whatever's beneath you. Okay. Walk on the bridge. If Whenever you get comfortable to the point where you've done it enough, that you're like, okay, this is not as bad. Okay. Find something taller now. Walk out onto, say, a mountain. Hike up on top of a mountain. Look out. Now you're a little higher. Okay, cool. You've now done that. Then get onto a plane and fly. Look out the window. You're not jumping out of the plane. All you're doing is you're on a, it's a commercial plane and you're flying somewhere and you just look out the window. Okay. Once you feel comfortable with that, then go to a training program 
that teaches you about skydiving. Go th- see the entire process to understand what is skydiving and how does it work. It This is safe so you feel comfortable with it. Then tandem skydive. Get on the plane, you go up, you jump out. That is to me the process of how the lessons for me on this trip. This was me skydiving. This was me finally skydiving and that was the big effort of getting there and that was not a this was years in the making i've talked about going on trips and doing things like this but i never have done it and so doing the small little steps and doing the small little build-ups of the using the is it analogy or metaphor did i just use the entire wrong word analogy it is analogy yeah, okay yeah. cool my bad i'm like yeah. me and my language sometimes i, so. I don't works. use the right words to it but i just wanted to make sure that i wasn't saying the wrong thing but that was this was the jumping out of the airplane and skydiving for me. So you're facing a fear. Facing the fear. Yeah. I'm facing that fear. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I left that safety net. There's bigger things. I chose something that I had no clue about really in detail. I had a brief understanding of Buddhism, but really honestly, I had no idea really about Buddhism once I got there and realized, okay, this is like 10 times bigger than, you know, thing. but it was bigger than me. Yeah. And I recommend getting out of your comfort zone finding ways to go to different things. I'm not saying go to different churches or go to, you know, go do these terrible, crazy things that, you know, may hurt you, but find safe ways to do things, find ways of writing it out and find ways just to write, find ways just to be able to communicate with something, talk with people about your ideas and voice your opinion. And that, that to me is what really I learned more from this trip than anything is that I could do it. Well, I think there's a, and I keep going back to the quotes. This is my thing for song lyrics and such, but Damien Rice has a song. And in that song, he says, what is it you're so afraid to lose? And then right after it says, what is it you think that will happen if you do? And it kind of, I know it's not an essential, essential no, it, no, it's, it's, it's a very much, but when we think of doing a lot of these things that you mentioned outside of your comfort zone, yep. your, your mindsets go to all of the horrible things that could happen. Oh my gosh. I'm a worst case scenario, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't voice it a lot, but some of my friends are like, yeah, you do. Shut up, Cade. <laughs> but yeah. I do. And I think by asking yourself those questions, sometimes it lets you kind of logistically lay out like what, what reality, yeah. what is reality is going to happen really here? Is. Because most of the time it's irrational. Fears yes. That are that causing is a huge us thing to not do certain things. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you would say that you, that you learn? I would definitely say as you are in an experience that you are uncomfortable with, sit with it. Allow it to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. As you just mentioned a second ago, allow it to be. Like, just be here. There's a book, Be Here Now by Ram Dass. Oh, yeah. I like Ram Dass. Like, be here now. Even if it's so awkward, uncomfortable, no clue what's kind of happening to it, feel it and allow it to kind of be in writing it down if you want to or say it out loud, um, but allow the awkward moments be awkward moments. Don't try to fix it. That's something that I would, I, a thing of advice to it, unless it's physically harming you, then you don't, you, why? It may teach you something. Those lessons, I didn't get a lot of these lessons that I'm talking about now until I got home. Or I was sitting on the plane coming back hmm. and just thinking about it. Because if once I was in it, I wanted to be in it. Yeah. Like, and things point. are continuing like to tell me things. Almost me like things. that the Buddhist philosophy of you know, we hear like Elsa say, let it go. Hey, but let you know, it go, let it go. <laughs> but Gosh, just like I the, about that in a little bit. I think it often says the creek or the river 
there's many obstacles in your path. But if you try to push against or try to control the path constantly, then ultimately it's just causing stress. And so you just kind of have to let it let it be. Yeah. Um, Speaking I, words of wisdom, let it be. Yeah. There you Thank go. you, Beatles. <laughs> Let's talk about lyrics. And I think the last Alan Watts reference I'll make today, hopefully, is along that same line. He said, "We're all falling off of a cliff toward the same destination of mortality, where we're yeah. all heading towards death." Good which lo- is good, formal, good, lovely little quote of a. Uh, Don't take life seriously. You're not yeah. going to get out alive. Well, what you can either do one of two things in that process. You can either try to hold on to anything as you're falling which is yeah, just going to make true. you feel, you know, stress and anxiety and a lot of exhaustion or you can just let go and experience it because either way we're all going in the same path. Very 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 true. All right, let's jump back in, go back from Alan Watts to a funny story or something that you um you felt was meaningful that you want to share. I have a couple little funny funny stories that is quite enjoyable to it. The very first one is really awkward. The first <laughs> day I get there on the monastery I went to, it's a Sunday. I went to there having like a service. So I went to the service and I get out and I'm like, you know what? It's, it's before night. I'd walk down this trail earlier in the day. I want to go see the sunset down out in the bay. So I'm going to walk down there and walk down towards the bay. I get right down there and there is these two girls in the water. And I'm like, they shouldn't be down here in the water. Like it's not safe. I'm being told it's not safe. And I realize one of them is naked. Like straight up a hundred percent naked. And the other girl is like, has a camera and taking pictures kind of deal. And like, like, this is okay. So I, I walk and they kind of like look up at me and I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, hi, I'm, I'm just going to go this way. I'm going to, I'm going to turn and, and but I'm going to walk and I kind of shield my eyes and start walking away. And then I, uh, I walk down the beach and I, I come back and, you know, the girl's dressed and the other ones, and they're like starting to apologize to me and say, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, is this like some kind of ritual? I don't know about that's going on. <laughs> like do what I, I got to, myself into. Exactly. Yeah. Do I need to stay away from here? Um, on Sunday nights, uh, after any worship service. And so we talk about it for a minute and she's like, Oh, you know, just, the water was calling me and I came down, I visit here for a little bit, a little bit. I'm at college over here and I'm like, okay, cool. Like awesome. And didn't think any more about it. After kind of walking, uh, walking by, and I wrote the story to my my wife Katie, telling about it, and she kind of got a chuckle out of it for a second. <laughs> and then, uh, about a week later, I see the girl again on the trail, and I go, "Hey!" And, sh- and she literally turns, she goes, "Hey, guy that saw me naked." <laughs> it's just oh, like, man, okay, cool. And she's with some guy walking down. I'm like, "Am I this guy gonna like punch me in the face or something of some sort?" I'm like, so I responded by saying, "Hey, naked girl," and. And we just, and that's the last time I saw her, but it was just so really odd of like a first night there. And then like a week later, just kind of like not being awkward by it, but just acknowledging it just kind of was in uh finding being there. There was a large group of people from South America mm-hmm. and it was very, in, they spoke broken English. They were there to work on their English because this is uh, okay, the meditation center to speak. Everything is mostly in English. So they were there to work on that. And so finding ways to kind of communicate was hilarious at times because like we're trying to do gestures, we're trying to find ways just to kind of communicate, and it's just like, okay, this is slowly working. Some that does not work is that what, so that to me was funny and awkward, but quite enjoyable as we started to like figure each other out. But with that, they would do a lot of celebrations for birthdays and just people leaving because we had people constantly leaving in and out because you were there, you had to stay a week, mm-hmm. e- and so each week people would be leaving, but sometimes people would leave a little early if they needed to or something. So I attended a lot of birthdays uh, down at the bay. One night, 
get down there and one of the ladies has a guitar, like a classical guitar, and she's playing music. And I walk up and I hear the Four Non Blondes song, What's Going On? And so I, I literally start walking up and I'm singing this song and I sit down next to the lady that's playing guitar and I belt this thing out. It's like karaoke kind of style going through and I belt this thing out with her. And then we, uh, there was like two or three other songs in English that I knew that I sang with her. But I sat there and started just playing drums on my feet, my chest. And it was just, it was a funny experience of just sitting there and, and doing it, even though, you know, it was just weird. I will say like a meaningful, a major meaningful experience to me that took a lot is I don't do good at quitting things. I, I, my brain is, even if it's so uncomfortable that like I, I have to finish it. Hey, look, there's a deer. Sorry, sorry. I got. I get sidetracked. Oh, I if yeah, you look further, but we've got four deer that live back here, yeah. so maybe they'll pop back up a little bit. Sorry, sidetrack. I actually wind up getting transferred out of the art studio because they were getting ready to do their big yearly festival, mm-hmm. and they're like, "We're going to put you on the housekeeping." I got so ticked off. I got so just angry about it, and I did a, two and a half days of it. On the second day, I go, "I am done with this." Like one of my buddies, David, which I'm going to mention here in a minute, was like, "Dude." Why are you doing, you're on vacation. Why are you going to do something that doesn't make you happy? Like, what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I quit. I paid the extra money to stay there uh, for the extra two days because I'm like, I'm not leaving. I've already said I was going to be here. I'm going to still enjoy the experience. But during that time period, that was, at that moment, that was huge for me to, to say I quit. To say that I'm walking away from this. I'm still going to stay here and be here. So it kind of like felt like I was still finishing, but I was like, I quit. And then I, I did some hiking, which is something I'll, you know, talk about in a minute. That was just something that was uh, very impactful to me. Well, I'll go ahead and talk about it now a little bit. I walked the com- part about eight hours in the Cumbria Way, four hours up and then four hours back. And that was, I want to actually tie the whole entire thing. It connects to Carlisle, to Overston. And this is a trail that people come from around the world just to kind of be able to hike. It's a really cool. And, and walking around in the area, there was one moment, you're walking through people's pastures. I love this about in over in the uk of mm. you're walking around and it's like oh here's a public path that goes through this guy's property yeah like just yeah. walk through and, the, and you know they'll wave to you and say hi and i'm walking along and at one point i come along and i hear this roar and i'm like what is this like a <laughs> and, the, and i'm like what, what's going on and i look up on the top of the hill and there is like probably somewhere between 50 and 100 sheep just <laughs> running across the top of this hill. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, do I just stand here? What am I going to do? Like, you know, and then I see a sheepdog come around the corner, uh, herding the sheep in one direction. And then a guy on the four wheeler um, behind it. And the guy waves at me as he's going by. And these sheep are just like running right beside me. At one point, a couple of them run like through me kind of not hitting me, but like yeah. basically going around me kind of range. And that was like a really cool, like meaningful, crazy experience. And that was, that was really neat kind of getting to do that. Well, that's awesome. Kind of time. Yeah. But yeah, we had- playing cards was really meaningful, which I'll talk about that with important person. Yeah. I remember in, this, in Scotland, we took a lot of hikes and it was the same experience. It was just make sure you shut the gate when you yep, go through. Exactly. So it was, there was kind of a trust thing where you make sure not to let the sheep out. So. I wonder if we, I would love to have that here a little bit more. Yeah. In I the United States. Mind. Which, which here. So I don't think it would work. I yeah. think we'd, you get a shotgun pulled on you pretty quickly. Yeah. No trespassing. Yeah. No trespassing. Just a few more questions and then we'll finish up. We've talked about some of the people you've met, but let's dig in a little deeper there. So some of those connections you made. Do you want to talk some more in depth about the people? I'm going to talk about two because there was only really these two made the trip worth it for me. Shout out, David. Shout out, Helen. If I get a little emotional here, like it's all good. But these two 
we were like in a way outsiders kind of in here. We were little oddballs yeah. on it. And we were just all had different, different kind of snacks sections to it. And, uh, we sit down and had, we ate pretty much every meal together. Whenever David left, he would still call and check in with us and we go out and he'd pick us up and we go for a ride and he drove us around the Lake District uh, a couple times and we went out and had meals out. But me and Helen ate every meal together. And at the end of the day, we would sit down and we'd play cards or we'd just sit and talk. And yeah. Wizpop is the game. There's, you can look this up online. It doesn't exist. Wizpop is a game that she said she earned, uh, if I can remember correctly, sorry, Helen, if I get this wrong. Uh, she learned it from an Argentinian who learned it from a... Someone from I'm gonna say Chilean, but it, someone from Chile, and like and so I'm like oh man like so we sat and we play cards and we talk and kind of check out and she was she felt like a therapist to me in a way she would talk me through stuff and like you know okay like this is this is nothing why are you worrying about this like you're you're too good for this kind of deal and so we and we would go on hikes together we go walking into town uh we walked up to what we thought was a lighthouse but really it was a monument for this uh, famous individual that lived in the area and help found a lot of the stuff within the town. But, um, she was, I want to call her like my mom there and my best friend. Yeah, Like that lady, we still send each other messages back and forth and talk at least a couple times during the week. We send a lot of voice messages over WhatsApp. Thank you. WhatsApp for having a, a little bit of like keeping the international connection here. But man, there is something really special and amazing about, getting to spend time with those two that I can't fully put into words because if without those two, I don't think I would have made that trip fully through. And we were oddballs. We were just oddballs. And we kind of, I'd, I'd find the interesting people and they find me and we just, uh, we connected on a different level. And David was my bunk mate that he lived below me. I lived like slept below me in the bunk. And I feel bad for him because of, uh, I like, I move a lot in my sleep. I just do. And it was funny. One morning he goes, Hey, were you like in the circus up there last night? Kind of deal. I felt like you were doing gymnastics, just going from one way to the other way and jumping up and down and this and this and this and everything. And I, he goes, I just I couldn't sleep some of the time because you were just so much. He wouldn't admit that like I kept him up, but yeah. I, I think I believe I kept him up. And David, you can you can say no, but I think I I made your trip a little harder for you at <laughs> night to to be able to sleep. So I feel bad about that. But when he left, I took his bunk, and it was nice to have that the lower bunk at that point. Yeah. But I mean. And David helped show us around the area because he had a car because he was local. And uh, so he drove us around and, you know, told us stories about the area and told us about his experiences. And he's big into motorcycles. And so he was telling about his motorcycle group and his connection. He wound up leaving early um, just because he was, he got a little fed up with some of the stuff that was there. And we had, a lot of us had issues that would come up. And no offense, like, again, we're outsiders in the area, but we had had some stuff that just didn't go well. I'm not going to really go into that because I don't think it's... Okay, it's important to know that there was issues. I had yeah. a lot of issues there, and I had a lot of struggles um, and conflicts I didn't agree with on stuff. But that's going to be anywhere yeah. you go yeah. to. But uh, David's got to the boiling point where he was just done, and I almost and that's also where I had I got to the point that's that third week where I go I'm done, yeah. but I stay because I had nowhere else to go. Yeah, <laughs> in, in that sense. But um, we and Helen and I had a good conversation about it. Helen calmed me down on a lot of it of saying, "Hey, like you could be angry about it. It's fine." So cool. that's a good thing to process you know, through as well. Process yeah. through it, yeah. allow it to happen, and but take something away from it and keep going. Like finish finish the drill, man. Finish up what's going on. And yeah. we had a lot of good talks. So once we got more comfortable with each other about just ourselves and it felt like a great kind of therapy in a way of surviving through it. And uh, 
being able to bond on that extra level and every morning Helen and when I had breakfast Helen and I would have lunch together Helen and I would have dinner together we were like uh, it was like we were just brother and sister or mom and son or whatever you want to call it but it yeah. just that was a special connection that I will take with me and if I have the time and have the money I'll, I'll find the time but if I have the money and wherever she's located I want to go back I want to spend time with her Yeah, and just and enjoy more of that and David as well like I would love to go over to Europe and rent a motorcycle and ride around with him on one of his little journeys around in, in that sense well, I hope cool. that you're I mean, both in doing well by the way as you're hearing this and I love each and I love both of you yeah. I mean it's awesome to hear that because you went to a place almost to oh there's a person I forgot to mention Marjorie Marjorie I'm sorry Marjorie if you want to appear in this she was from Atlanta it was funny but she had left Atlanta a long, uh, while back and was just kind of living around. But it was just funny. Like, hey, there's someone from Georgia. And she was there for a week and a week and a half, two weeks with us. And she would sit and we would eat and we would hang out and talk from time That's to time. Crazy. But it wasn't as like frequent as me and Helen. Like me and Helen yeah. were like at times attached at the hip. I felt like I was a sheep following her at times. <laughs> but, like I needed that comfort zone. And she was my she was my safety net. She was my comfort. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's all. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's really cool to see that you went to a place almost to to find yourself but you still you still have made these connections with people that were important uh, and how I think that's something that we often neglect because when we go through some of these mental things to kind of help us we often think that we have to be done alone or we have to dig through these processes by ourselves but really it is those connections with people that sometimes help us the most it really is like so, that, yeah it really is and your episode on solitude was a great episode that like you do a walk with yourself and going through and that's so if you get a chance to listen to the episode guest, I'm going to put links to your podcast in that specific episode uh, to, to go back and listen to. Well, I think that was what I was one of the takeaways was that there's a balance to all that. You yeah. know, there's this need to be on your own, but there's also this need to be with people and to make those connections. And, and um, solitude has its place, but there's also those those, those times where we need others. It really it really is. <laughs> we, um, we do. Let's let's finish up. We got one or two more questions left, and um, we'll go with: Is it your goal to take more of these types of trips in the future? And if so, where would you like to go to, and why? There's going to be more of these. I'm, I'm definitely doing this again, whether it's like one week, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks of because uh, my wife is super happy with, and not I don't use the word happy. She's super okay with me doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And being a teacher, we have those. Like that summer break, it's like yeah. six, seven weeks of time for it. And, and being able to go and do this was very just important to me to be able to do it. And I'm going to look at World Packers again and try to find something. But really, in all honesty, what I want to do is get into areas, like purposely seek out areas and, to, and do jobs that I normally would never do. I wasn't normally a part of. And that was what this trip was. I, was, I went to the, the meditation center learn about a different religion and experience something different. And I got lucky that I got to work in the art center and working with like these sculptures that are like tens of thousands worth of dollars that they give away for free to these different centers and, and learning about that and coming to learning those terms. But really, I think Asia is really where I want to kind of go to next. Like I would love to do Th- Thailand, Japan, South Korea, um, and some of the European countries is like Switzerland, Denmark, Netherlands, Norway. Yeah. Um, but the next trip may be a therapeutic trip of maybe like a yoga retreat maybe an actual specific meditation retreat maybe you know there's so many different things out there for therapy that in the united states that per se we don't really do we don't think about in that extra kind of detail 
and maybe that's an maybe abroad in, trip. India or yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, I don't know. Like that's the thing. But really, I think the next trip, if I get the opportunity, is finding where Helen is at on one of her work things and making sure that I can get in that area and at least, even if it's just for a day, just to hug her and say like, "Hey, like I miss you, I love you," kind of deal. Because the physical touch and communication is just important. Yeah, I think that's kind of what's coming. I don't know what's going to be next, but I know this summer, I'm starting February, I'm going to start looking. Yeah. I'm going to start finding stuff and uh, see where it leads me to. Well, we're both teachers, so I understand that connection to that time. Yeah. To have that ability to be able to go. Because you think of most people who have jobs, they, they get like two or three weeks at the most. For the whole year. year. Yeah. yeah. And um, and typically they might take a week to the bay, to the beach or something like that. You know, whatever some, those, a, a cabin up in the mountains or whatever. Yeah. But the luxury of having that whole summer off is you can really plan bigger trips that way. Yep. And I I put money aside every month. I'm a big budgeter. I'm one of those people that and I'm and I, for a long while I was like, I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars on a plane flight. I'm not going to spend like you know a, I wound up spending somewhere between three and four and a half thousand dollars on this trip. And, and my it was more on like the I think the 3500 that uh, yeah. side but that's a lot of money it is but that's I mean, a lot of money but it but the thing is that was yeah. worth every penny to be able to do that in financially getting to that point it's not everybody can do it yeah but and and I, you can save money forever and you could put stuff aside forever but really in honesty i'm 34 i don't have kids holding me down and to say that i can't do this my wife is so open to saying hey if i can't go with you still go like do it nice, kind yeah. of deal. And that I'm like beyond blessed on that. Like I love my wife and we just got done celebrating our eighth wedding anniversary, September 19th. So I was like, man, like I hit the jackpot. Yeah. Like I've, and so I'm like, I'm blessed. I'm like, I'm doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. But families can, I mean, we took our trip this summer with our family and it was still, I have younger kids. I have a 12 year old girl and a daughter and a nine year old son. Teenage years, man. I know. It's coming up. I know. And we were able to take this trip and have we during that trip we had times where we can you know do our own things or go hiking or explore and I think for everybody travel can be a a great experience if you can do it. So. Yep, find find a way to do it and find a way to find peace in it. Mm-hmm. And I think the longer you can be able to go, the better. Yeah, to be able to do it and find a balance of what you enjoy, but also find something a little different. And I was very notorious for scheduling everything down to a T. Of mm-hmm. uh, when I was in Scotland, I I did like. Minus that one day where I did all the hiking. I knew where I was going yeah. in a way. But I, I had to think of, I had to be here at this. I had to be here at this time. The first week, uh, the first three or four days I was at the monastery, I have a wristband that uh, you can write on that a lot of people in the medical field will use at times. And I had 1 o'clock be here, 2 o'clock be here, 3.30 be here. And I, after like three or four days of being so like OCD about it, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is too much. Like, pull away from it. Yeah, I think that's a, that's important too because you do have to have some general plans and we mentioned earlier that the the small parts of travel can be very frustrating. The yeah. Air, the airports, I cannot stand Oh, airports. gosh, yeah, that's but too much. Even the little pieces of travel, getting to places when you need to, the obligations of travel, those things can be very frustrating. But it can be. If you overplan, it can be that piece where yep. it all becomes a means to an end. Oh, yeah, um, and entirely. And, there uh, is something that I totally forgot to mention earlier i gotta find it real quick give me a moment y'all that was a very like um important event before i left where was that thing sorry y'all there was an event that i went to before the before here it is before i left to come home like the literally the last day i was in scotland i went to this concert 
the jazz festival was kind of starting to ramp up and everything, but it was, um, Fergus McCready and Charlie Stewart at the Meadowbank church in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. Um, they were playing traditional music, like they, t- but they added a twist of jazz to it. So they kind of like, it was a fiddle player and a pianist, classically trained, all this sort of stuff, professional musicians. I, I will say that's in my top 10 favorite concerts of all time now. Wow. I cried sitting in that concert because it was the perfect closure for that trip. It was the final night and then I left and went home the next morning. That, to, that was a spiritual and sacred experience of I had closure on this event and I was late to the concert because I went to the wrong church because I thought <laughs> it was a different church and then I realized, crap, I went to the wrong So I ran to get there. So it felt like there was symbolism in my mind of going, hey, I was wrong and I corrected myself. I got there. I attended the concert. It was a whole entire experience for me of hearing this traditional and mixture of like another, adding another flavor with jazz on top of it, which kind of felt like a, hey, Cade, you wouldn't experience this, but you added your own twist to it. And you add things. So this is like a symbolism of like yourself, of what you just did on this trip. So I, I cried in that concert. The very, uh, and it was, it was very just emotional, hmm. kind of the ending. I, I'm so, uh, why did I forget that? I'm glad I got there and remembered it. <laughs> well, I think it. it was a good point because yeah. this is kind of where we're finishing the conversation but also it sounds like that was the end yeah that was the perfect the ending too, of that so. trip and then i flew home the next morning and it wasn't flying home because i wind up my plane started leaking gas oh, and right, uh, yeah. we had to defer to iceland for uh 12 hours and uh as a result of that i got 400 dollars back from uh delta and sky and sky miles and stuff like that and then uh, i got this is why it was important to buy the insurance because of I got deferred and I bought the insurance and everything I called. I had to fight for about a week and a half to get it, but I got $700 back from having the insurance. Uh, and so I have like $1,100 that I have off to the side uh, to uh, nice. be able to go on my next trip right there. And I only paid $1,300 for including the insurance and flights and everything uh, to uh, to originally go over there. So like, bam. Yeah, a lot of flights out. are doing that now. Like if you can... Yeah. You can work it out. You can get some money out of it. But if, if, as long as you're willing to be flexible. Yeah, be flexible and work on it. But it was cool to be in Iceland that one day, even though I wish I could have like gone somewhere, but yeah. I was only there for like less than 12 hours. That's definitely on my bucket list to go and spend more time, which I know you've yeah. done. I before. got lucky. I got yeah. to go there for a week over. I got to have celebrate Thanksgiving there with my brother and one of my best friends, Chris Bias. And yeah. that was really cool. But I, I think we saw about like, five seconds of the northern lights and i was we were hoping to see more of it that's more than some people get to see because it's uh even when you go and plan it sometimes it doesn't work no it's a probability that you never know yeah well well, let's finish up i want to i want to go to the last question on my own podcast i always finish with this question so i wanted to kind of transfer this over to you do it so typically we take a walk in the woods and you've done that with me we walked on your family's farm yeah that was a blast ask the question is after that conversation you know where do, where do we go next? So what is the next step on the path? So based on this experience, what will you take away that will guide your your future decisions or choices? Like what was your biggest takeaway? I will say my biggest takeaway, the next step for me is to do more stepping out of my, of my comfort zone. And I'm going to start reading more. I, I don't read a lot in comparison, but I like, I'm going to read physical books. I'm not going to sit and listen to the audiobook version of it. It's going to take me a little bit longer to do it, mm-hmm. but I'm going to pick up some more books. I haven't been doing therapy. I've been doing therapy, but not like talk therapy for all. I'm just doing more therapy of like medication stuff and kind of going through. But I'm going to try to do some more like alternative medicine like um, ideas in order to add another tool to the toolbox, mm-hmm. add another something extra there. And 
doing some extra research in those kind of directions and uh i'm trying to figure out where the next trip is yeah and trying to figure out how to evolve myself a little bit more better through those kind of events and being able to talk to more i want to be a little bit bigger of an advocate for uh mental health mm -hmm. i think that's something that's going to kind of come up and i think i need a lot of different changes in my life that i've been kind of like not stagnant per se but um i think it's time for a little bit of change and stuff and i think this is you're going to see a little bit of that in the podcast changing a little bit because it has to evolve yeah, i'm running yeah. out of friends <laughs> i don't have many more friends i have i have more friends but uh, people that are willing to come on hey i get it and, and I mean, doing it and but again it's gonna be this season's gonna be some learning from friends friends yeah. i'm not gonna change the podcast name but it's learning from friends it's learning from friends but friends friends yeah I, I expand cool. it out yeah yeah expand it out a little bit because some people like if if i interviewed your wife i don't know your wife that well at all i say hi to her and thing but if you sit down with your wife you can have a very in-depth conversation because you know in like have spent time, love her, have this big whole long relationship that, and I think that's something that I could go back and get my old, my old guests that have been on here and let them pick somebody. Yeah. That's a good it. idea. Yeah. I think that's, you have to evolve with it. I know with even my own podcast and I've only been doing it for almost a year, which isn't, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I'm getting close. Yeah. You start to get to the point where you're like, okay, who's next? Yeah. Where's, where, where's that person and what I'm going to talk about? And yep it becomes where you do have to kind of evolve and change some. And I even have ideas myself of where to go from, you know, yeah. how can I change this instead of walking in the woods, like this next episode, I'll be sitting on a boat fishing. So in, some, into the water. <laughs> into, yeah. Right. <laughs> to the water. Deep in the water. I Deep don't know. In the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much. That's it. You know, let's, let's finish there. And, um, I think you've taught me a lot through this conversation about, you know, looking into yourself, what, what ways you can be able to, to process and to de you mentioned the detoxing to be able to get out of comfort zones and there's so much that i'm going to take from this conversation so thank you so much for that and thank and you for being the person to sit down and do this like i like your calm demeanor and your nature of how you kind of like ask questions and just have that nice voice too of just oh, being I, able yeah. to <laughs> like, it, it works that, out yeah. nicely and you really helped influence a lot of the the trip in, in different ways that you may not know about and everybody per, uh, participates in your life in different ways. And you may not recognize it out of the bat. And that's a lot of the podcasts. I think, gosh, I say it almost every episode of talk to somebody. Yeah. Engage with somebody that maybe you haven't talked to in a while. And through this two years episodes, I've connected back with old friends that I hadn't spoke to in years. I learned new things about people that I'd never imagined that I would learn about. <laughs> and, uh, it's amazing what wound up becoming as a result of what this podcast has led to. And some people that have emailed me over the two years, has been interesting and inspirational that I never thought about. And again, I don't have crazy numbers of millions of people and tens of thousands of people. I've got about a couple, about a hundred to 200 people that listen to the podcast. Yeah. And that's really cool. If it was one other person listen to it, yeah. it's amazing. Like, and if you've been listening for 60 plus episodes now, gosh, I don't remember what number we're in the sixties now, but like being wow. in the sixties, like episodes, it's like, man, if you just find one episode or connect with one person or change one person's life here, like as educators, that's something that we we don't think about of changing and connecting with people's lives in a different ways. And this podcast has given me a little bit of a capabilities of connecting with others. And it's true. And I think for, if I can make some of the same connections as someone who's been creating a podcast, it's, you do go and look and see times like, Oh, who who's looking or what's happening. But, yeah. uh, because I think it's important that we make those connections and share things. And that, there's something true. special about that. But I think in the end, it's really, as we've talked about through this whole discussion, 
it's one it's an additional tool almost to oh, yeah. be it's able an, to adding another tool to the toolbox to That's be what I like able to, to um to get things out to to get out of the house to go somewhere to to connect with another person because as we've said that importance of connecting with people is there and it's really its own form of therapy to be able to do these podcasts it totally is so i just hate the editing portion that takes you yes, anywhere between yeah. <laughs> two hours to five hours depending upon the episode you're yeah like, that's Ugh. true yeah you get better at it but it's still not the best part it still stinks yeah i think anything you do uh there's always these the the parts you don't like you know like any any job you do any hobby you have sure. there's always the part that's a struggle and that i agree the editing part's not, no, that's not the as worst part that's so. the worst well let's finish here thanks again for doing this and uh let me be a part of this conversation this was great and um thank you normally cade would do this but since i'm the host i'm going to do it today so find a way to connect with cade you can reach him at cade at learning from he also is on many other social platforms and sites, including Patreon. So take the time to reach out through Patreon. Give this guy some money because the time it takes to do a lot of this, it really is uh, its a lot of work. So connect with him through that. And normally Cade ends with this little saying, and I'm going to do it today. Most of all, don't forget to let your curiosity fly high.